Greetings of love this afternoon in the name of Jesus. It's a blessing to continue on with our day and continue on with studying of the Word of God. I know that's your heart and thank you for singing that song as, a, as an opening prayer, really. Uh, this afternoon, the topic I've been given to consider is suffering love. And I would like you to ponder that title. You can write it down if you want. Maybe you had it already in some of your notes, but Suffering Love is the title that I was given to talk about. So as I prepare for that, and each of us prepare for that, let's just bow our heads again for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause this afternoon with grateful hearts, because you loved us enough to suffer for us and die on the cross and pay the penalty when we were bankrupt and had absolutely no accumulation of resources that would amount to anything that would be a payment for sin. But Lord, You paid that price. You suffered for us. Went all the way to the cross. Now Lord, I know You're inviting each of us to partake of this suffering love. Father, I pray that You would manifest it to us this afternoon. Lord, give us a glimpse of Your kingdom, of Your church, of your called out people, of the Lord Jesus and His heart. Lord, it's too big and the hour's too small, but I pray that you would at least stir up our minds today with the uncompromised, undiluted truth of your word. Father, it's afternoon, and I know that this can be an hour that we can fight with drowsiness. I pray that you would bring alertness to each heart. I pray for a clear mind and a pure heart myself, Father. I pray that you would meet with us and that you would be the one that communicates today through the interpreter of the Holy Spirit that we've heard about. In in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to tell you this afternoon about two men. Two men I want to hold before you for you to consider. Both of these men were known as Christians. One man's name is Charles and the other man's name is Michael. I want to tell you about Charles and Michael for a little while. and I want you to ponder their lives and their testimony and what history would record about Charles and Michael. I'll start with Charles. Charles was a big, handsome man. History says he was amazingly capable and able to move multitudes. He was able to lead and to motivate people, and and he was just a natural leader. Charles had a lot of ambition, Charles had a lot of energy, Charles had a lot of ability. Charles became known as this, Charles the Great, the defender of the churches of Christ. The defender of the churches of Christ. What a noble title for Charles to bear. History gives him the title Charlemagne. Charlemagne 
which is Charles the Great in French. Charlemagne, the defender of the churches of Christ. He greatly expanded the kingdom that his, his father had already begun. He went out in conquests, hailing and, and going into communities and into villages and into to countries and requiring people to become Christians and compelling them by the force of the sword and his powerful armies which he so ably led to become, quote, Christians. He would stop nothing to squelch his enemies, stop short of nothing. One time, I think there were a, a group who had surrendered, and even out of them there were 4,500 men that he just slaughtered and killed them and left their blood there on the ground. Charles the Great, the defender of the churches of Christ, the leader of the Christian people, Charlemagne. Now I want to talk about Michael. Michael lived some years later. Michael was also an able man. Michael lived in Europe and when he began to study and to begin to search and begin to read the Bible for himself, he saw a new and living way. Michael began to preach the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Michael organized meetings, sometimes in secret, where believers would come together who were hungry for the truth just like you 30 young people and others are here today. At one meeting that Michael uh, administrated, the believers there decided that, that it's going to be right really only to baptize true believers and not just baptize our babies who haven't had a chance to confess faith. They also decided that we want churches that, that have some discipline and some conviction and not just uh, a name on a church roll. They decided at that meeting that we want to get together and, and hold a commemoration of Christ's death and, and let's have the Lord's Supper together. They decided at that meeting that, that our believers who are a part of the true church of God should not be fellowshipping in compromising fashion with the world around them. They decided further, the fifth thing at that meeting that Michael was teaching, that, that the shepherds of the flock should teach and exhort by the Word of God. The sixth thing they decided at that meeting was that Christians should not take up the sword or go to law. And the seventh thing they decided at that meeting was that it's not right for believers to take an oath. As they read the Bible, they came to these conclusions. Well... Charles and now Michael. Michael was courageous. Michael kept preaching. Michael kept traveling and sharing the truth of the Word of God and at last he was captured. His trial is very well documented and recorded. Even a lot of the verbiage back and forth of his trial is on record for you to read if you'd like. 
This man, Michael, Michael Sattler was his last name. As he stood on trial and the judge became so angry with him and the people so angry because he was so able with the Word of God to convince them and to speak the truth, that the judge finally said, if there wasn't a hangman here, I'd hang you myself. Finally, he condemned Michael to his death. Michael was to have his tongue cut out because he was so able at preaching the Word of God. Then they were going to parade him through the city to the place of his death. Two times along the way, they were to stop the wagon on the way to his death, and this did happen that day. And they took red-hot pincers and, and pinced flesh right out of Michael's side just to persecute and taunt him. Once they got to the place of his death, they did it five more times, just mutilated his body with red-hot pincers. But you know, that afternoon, Michael had said this in trial, you ministers of God, as he stood before the judges, he called them ministers of God. He'd read Romans 13. He knew that they were appointed by God as in that kingdom, that civil kingdom. He said, I'm not sent to judge the Word of God. I'm sent to bear witness to the Word of God. Many other things he said, but he said, you know, I'm ready to suffer for the Word of God. Whatever those sufferings are, or whatever may be imposed upon us all for the sake of faith in Christ Jesus our Savior, as long as we have breath, unless you can show me otherwise in the Scripture. And of course they couldn't. So they cut out his tongue. They pinched flesh out of his body, and at last they threw his mutilated dying body into the fire. And he was burnt in the flames. Three days later, they drowned his wife and some other women as well who held strongly to the truth. But you have before you this afternoon two men, Charles and Michael. You could pick many other men down through history. One had the title, the Defender of the Churches of Christ. The other one did not defend himself, but left his life to be defended by the Lord God. Suffering love. Which of these two men manifested the love of Jesus? This morning in our morning worship, we heard about the love of God and how we manifested in love toward our fellow man and toward our brethren and sisters. But I think it's a critical question this afternoon. And I think as time goes on, and even in this year in the United States of America, as the country begins to discuss and begins to rally around different leaders and discussion of policy and financial policy and foreign policy and, and all of those things come to the forefront, it's important that we look again. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? So we want to talk about suffering love for a little while and it's the Bible doctrine of love and peace and doing good to all. I'd like to look at the teachings of Jesus. First of all, 
That'll be the first area we go into, the teachings of Jesus. I'll just give you a a little bit of a forecast even now. The teachings of Jesus is what I'd like to talk about briefly. We're going to look at the Bible. This is a Bible school, and so we're going to open the Word of God and look together. I trust you're alert for that. Then secondly, we want to look at the attitude and example of Jesus. And then third, as we have time, I'd like to look at, at uh, some other scriptures that bear upon this uh, subject, or we'll call it more testimony from the Word of God, and then last of all, some of the serious life implications of this teaching. Suffering love. The teachings of Jesus. Let's start out by just considering that. And, and we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We have four Gospels that, that give us first-hand accounts from eyewitnesses of His majesty and others who gave us the teachings of Jesus. We're only going to highlight a few of them today, but if you'd like to start by turning with me to the fifth chapter of Matthew, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the teachings of Jesus on this subject. The teachings of Jesus. Let's think a little bit right here at the start of the Beatitudes. These these beautiful attitudes that Christ manifests in His teaching. And I know in the the second area we're going to talk a little more about Jesus' attitude. But first of all, I want, to, I want you to look at what Jesus actually said. And is this for you? Is this for believers? As a Christian, does this apply to me? Or was he talking to someone else? I propose to you he was talking to me and to each one of you. But I want to warn you that there will be those who teach this Bible who say, well, that doesn't really apply to us. That's for some kingdom dispensation, some future uh, time or It would have been for the nation of Israel at that time if they would have accepted or all other kinds of nonsense to validate the plain, simple, undiluted Word of God. It's for us today, but let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read some, and maybe I'll have you help me read some. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Notice this. Just notice this. Let your mind open up and say... What is a Christian like? What is our King like? What's Jesus like? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound like Charlemagne to you? Or does that sound like Michael Sattler? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for 
so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jump down with me now to about the 21st verse here of Matthew 5 and, and let's just ponder what Jesus said. What did He actually say? And so, let's see. Jordan, why don't you read Matthew 5, 21 through 26. If you could read loud and clear. Appreciate it. Through 26? Yes. I'm sorry. What? Oh, okay. Jordan Turner, please. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Uh-huh. You have heard that it was said by the old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother in Rachel shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring a gift to the altar, and they remember that the brother, thy brother hath not against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Seek the same time the adversary deliberately to the judge, and the judge deliberately to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out of sin, Amen. Just consider this attitude that comes out of Christ's teaching of not focusing on my rights, of not killing, and not even being have, having a spirit of anger or that would desire to kill. Let's jump on down a little bit more. We're looking at the teachings of Jesus. What did Jesus actually say? Same chapter, verse 38 through 48. Jordan number 2. Why don't you read these since you were up and, and offered loud and clear. 38 through 48. Thank you. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemy. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise in the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Thank you. The teachings of Jesus. I want you to notice some things here. And there's a whole large passage that could be expounded 
a lot further than I intend to right now, but just get this. Jesus said, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Hearkening back to the Old Testament, to the law that was given by Moses where God did restrain a man from getting even no more than what had been done to him. In other words, if someone poked out your eye, the most you could do in in return was poke out their eye. You couldn't do more than that. It was actually a restraint of retaliation. But Jesus said, and it is critical that we understand this, this, you have heard, but I say, but I say unto you, and you look down through this chapter, it's always critical when Jesus said that. You have heard, and that's right. He's acknowledging what was taught. But he's saying, I'm bringing a new and living way. Now I say unto you something different. And here's what he says in this. You have heard an eye for an eye, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. An attitude of resist not, or non-resistance. Resist not evil. But if anyone would smite you on your right cheek, I don't know if anyone's had that happen. And had the chance to turn the other also. But that's what Jesus said to do. I think we have that in principle from time to time. The time may come we'll have that opportunity more. I don't know. If anyone would sue you at the law and take away your coat, some of us have had that opportunity. Let them have your cloak also. Don't go after your rights. Don't stand up for what's just and proper in your behalf. No. It's an attitude of resisting not evil. And on and on. Give to him that asks of thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And Jesus goes on. You've heard. You should love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's going to be a why in the road how you take those, if you, if you believe what Jesus said or not, there is going to be a why in the road among those who claim to love and follow this book. It's a why in the road. You can't go both directions on this. We'll talk more about that later. I believe that the Word of God stands clear that we are to love our enemies and to do good to them that, that hate us and, and to pray for those which despitefully use us. Why? That you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. He didn't didn't say so that you may be a citizen of your country that's loyal and stands up for the rights of your country. No, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. We'll talk more about that. It's very key. Remember, loyal lovers of King Jesus resist not earthly evil. Let's turn to John now, the Gospel of John. We're looking at the teachings of Jesus. going to have to hurry. Just such an, a brief overview of, of, of one aspect of this subject, but that's, that's what we have today. St. John 15, verse 19. Marcy, would you... Stand up and read that, please. St. John fifteen nineteen. In fact, 18 and 19. If the world hate you, hate you, ye know that it hated me 
Go ahead and read the next verse, Marcy. Thank you. Is there anyone here that feels like you're greater than the Lord? Jesus said, I say unto you this, and then there it is again, those words. You mark it down whenever Jesus says, I say unto you. You decide whether you're going to be one of those yous that he's speaking to or not. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You can count on it. The world, society will not understand your, your conviction in following Jesus and following the Word of God. Those men who tried Michael Sattler had Scripture. They sat in council as religious authorities. And they finally became so angry because they could not gainsay the plain Word of God that they had to cut the man's tongue out before more got converted, before they could fulfill their bloodthirsty deeds of, of killing him. And it didn't intimidate his wife at all. Three days later, they pitched her in the river. I think she's the one they tied a rock to her neck and threw her off a bridge because she wouldn't recant either. She was ready to go and follow her King Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. I want to just highlight that. I like to highlight that verse. I want to remind you of that this afternoon. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. Remember, the world loves its own. It always does. The world loves its own. I mean, the world... I've, I remember uh, seeing posters when I was a young man that said, Uncle Sam wants you. The world loves its own. This nation loves good men and women, and I speak respectfully of this nation. It is, uh, we pray for this nation. We pray for the rulers. But remember, the world loves its own. But Jesus said, but you're not part of that. You're not of the world. I've chosen you out of the world. And because of that, the world will hate you. You can count on it. Let's jump to John 17. Uh, verses 15 and 16 of, of John 17, this high priestly prayer. Isaac, would you mind standing up to read that, please? John 17, verse 15 and 16. <coughs> Thank you. There it is again. Jesus, as He's praying, talking to His Father, He's reminding His Father that God, were, they're going to be our, my people. They're going to be a separate people. And you can read all of that. But, but God, I'm not praying that You'll take them clear out yet, but keep them from participating in the evil of the world. Because they don't belong there. Just like I don't belong here. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. One more reference in the teachings of Jesus. St. John 18 now. Turn over and we'll read verses 33 through 37. One of Jesus' clearest teachings as He stood before Pontius Pilate. St. John 18, 33 through 37. Abigail, would you please stand and read that? Sorry, 
therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Amen. Thank you. Uh, so Jesus stood before Pilate, and Pilate had a question for him. Are you a king? Are you a king? And Jesus answered. He said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that everyone that is of the truth should hear my voice. But he went on and said, But my kingdom, Pilate, is not of this world. I think Pilate was confused by this whole thing. What's going on? They're calling you a king. They've delivered you up here for trial. What's going on? Are you a king or not? And Jesus said, yes, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, I'd muster up an army. My servants would fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews. I mean, of all just causes, wouldn't that have been a just cause? This is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the King of glory. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is the one who never man spake like this man. This is the man who went about doing good and healing and blessing everywhere he went. Surely this would be a just cause for him to muster up an army and take care of the the hypocritical rulers of Israel and Go ahead and take care of Rome with a military coup while he's at it and set up his kingdom. And Pilate was baffled by all this. Are you a king? Yes, Jesus said, I'm a king, but not the kind of king you're thinking about. And I'm telling us as believers, it's not the kind of kingdom that the world is thinking about. And we need to manifest a different kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kingdom. The scriptural emphasis, and I challenge you to test this for yourself. It's on the kingdom of heaven. It's on the house of God. It's on the church, the saints, the the fellow citizens, your brethren, whether near or in a distant land. And it's not an emphasis on loyalty to a geographical nation. Look at the Word for yourself. Test that. It's important that we get this. Philippians 3.20 has a a key verse. It says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word conversation, look it up. It means citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's crucial that we understand this week where our real citizenship is. It's in heaven. And Paul knew that. Paul didn't muster up an army. Paul crossed all kinds of political borders and geographical borders. Paul got beaten. He gives quite a list of what he endured. But Paul said, my citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. Let's go on. Let's consider now the attitude and example of Jesus. We've talked a little bit about some of the teachings of Jesus. Let's look at the attitude and example of Jesus. 
really these things kind of overlap in a way we have already. But take a look with me at the 12th chapter of Matthew. Let's get a couple of verses there. need to go really quickly here. I think it's crucial again that we get this. I, I have known and, and have read and have actually met men who read these words, love your enemies, that we read in Matthew 5 and just stopped short and finally ended up leaving the army because they just couldn't get around to what the Bible clearly said. Let's look at Matthew 12 a moment. We're talking now about Christ's attitude and example. Matthew 12, 18-21. I'm just going to read this a little bit. Behold my servant. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah about our Lord Jesus, your King. Now you, you read what the Bible says about your King. Isaiah had prophesied 800 years before he was born what this King was going to be like. And now notice what he's like. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Now notice, he shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment into victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Notice this Lord Jesus. He's not going to strive or cry or, or give some big war call out in the streets. No. That's not the attitude He has. In fact, even a bruised reed He won't break. Smoking flax. Just a little flame. Some of you today maybe feel like that's all I have left is just a little smoking flax. Maybe I've been down to a spark in my Christian life. I'll tell you, Christ isn't interested in stamping that out. Stamp, he won't stamp out a, a smoking flax. Instead, He'll fan that flame and He'll bless and He'll encourage that fire in your life. But notice this attitude, the meek attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 21. I think I'll skip over that, but it's where it says, Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king comes. Remember, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you a king? I mean, I've heard the mobs just the other day were, were, were shouting that your king comes meek and lowly upon an ass and upon a colt the full of an ass. And they cried, Hosanna! The crowds laid down blankets in the way and they put palm branches out in the way and, and, and they were ready for, for Jesus, this King Jesus, to come and, and muster up an army and we've just about got it. We're going we're gonna to have a military coup here and we're going to be back in control. After all, we're God's nation, we're God's people. But no, Jesus came meek and lowly riding upon an ass and on a colt the full of an ass. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. One time his disciples asked him when the kingdom of God would appear. And Jesus said, and it's important we get this about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God comes not by observation. Neither will they say, lo here or lo there. For the kingdom of God is within you. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's within you. The attitude and example of Jesus. We could go to Luke 9. I'm just going to give you this because I'm trying to hurry. Uh, 
Jesus was traveling with his disciples and I think they passed through Samaria and, and I think it was James and John, those sons of thunder, Boanerges, Jesus named them. Uh, when, when these Samaritan people wouldn't receive Jesus and wouldn't show him hospitality because his face was set as though he would go to Jerusalem, James and John got just a little bit of mad about that. They had a little, uh, a little patriotism for their Lord Jesus, a little bit of political loyalty, and they said, Lord... Shall we call down fire from heaven that these people should be destroyed? And I think down through the years there's been many nations who have looked at a just cause or, or many people have rallied up and said, listen, this isn't right. Shall we, shall we call down fire from heaven and destroy? Shall we gird up our arms? Shall we get our tanks and our swords and go destroy? But Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Can you see the attitude and the example of Jesus? We've looked at a few of his teachings, but notice his attitude all through his life and his ministry. Let's go to Luke 22. Luke 22. We'll read a couple verses here. Begin at verse 35. Interesting passage. Jesus is just about to go to the cross and notice here. And he said unto them, this is Jesus to his disciples, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip, which would be his bag, uh, like a little backpack. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Huh, that's interesting, Jesus. Buy a sword? For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Interesting passage to look at. Uh, let's look down now at verse 49. So they had two swords, and Jesus said, that's enough. Now here comes the mob to, to capture the Lord Jesus and take Him to the cross. And, and when they that were about Him saw what would follow, they said unto Him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? A profound question from the citizens of this kingdom. I'd like each one of you to ask that in your own conscience. Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Jesus' disciples asked that question. I think Jesus' disciples should still ask that question. Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest. He didn't wait for an answer. And cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer you thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. And, and so forth. Um, we could go on. I just must hurry on here. I just think it's important. We could go on to Matthew 26, read more about that account. And Jesus told Peter after he smote Malchus in Matthew's account, He said, Peter, put up your sword into its sheath. Shall not they that, that live by the sword perish with the sword? They that live by the sword die by the sword? And I just think it's critical that we notice this. Jesus and it's a little bit of a mystery to me why he told them to buy two swords. And they said, well, we've got two. 
And Jesus said it's enough. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. I think it's possible that Jesus wanted to give this lesson to them because two swords, in human terms, certainly weren't enough for a mob that came against him. But Jesus did say it's enough. And then just a little while, we're talking just a short time later, uh, they said, okay, shall we get them? We've got them. Shall we smite with the sword? And, And one of them did. And Jesus said, put up your sword. I propose to you that as Jesus told Peter to put up his sword, he told his followers to put up the sword and never ever will you find in the word of God where he's ever told us to take it out again. The carnal sword, he said, you put it up. Put it up. It was put up forever for Christians at that time. Put up your sword. This is the attitude and example of Jesus. And furthermore, Jesus said this, Get this. Get the truth of this. Here's how Peter, Jesus reasoned with Peter. He said, Peter, don't you realize if that was the way we were going to operate, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? You think you're going to defend me with a sword, Peter? I've got armies, if that's what you're worried about. I've got 12 legions of angels I could have in a moment. But how then could the Scripture be fulfilled? It's a whole different kingdom, a whole different attitude and example. And it will not be understood by much, by many. But let's hold to the truth of the Word of God and never compromise. I warn you, the pressure is out there. You're going to see it this year as this nation begins to rally around leaders and it begins to talk about the perplexing situations that exist on the landscape of this globe. Remember what kingdom you are of. Remember. That's the attitude and example of Jesus. Well, now we want to look at at a a third area, and I've just called it more testimony from the Word of God. More testimony from the Word of God. Let's take a a quick glance. It says Bible school, and I'm, I'm focusing a lot on the Scripture because that's what we want to to understand in this lesson today. Uh, someone turn with me. Let's do some pretty quick, sharp reading, but let's absorb. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Race, men and women of God. First one who has it, please stand up and read it. Okay, go ahead, Abigail. You're a good reader. Yes. What, 39. I'm sorry. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's blessing? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that dies, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes and confesses his life? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
Amen. Thank you. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. There's no earthly power strong enough. And in these things, in these distresses, in these sufferings, when Jesus said, remember, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. If they understood me, they'll understand you. If they believe my things, they'll believe yours also. It's going to be a paradox to the world and to those that aren't really serious and committed uh, in, in their faith as it was with those who tried Michael Sattler. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Let's turn to Romans 12. Seventeen to twenty-one. Who's got it? Go ahead, Lucy. hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink, and so forth. For in doing, so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his, on his head, and be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a proactive way to overcome evil, is by doing good, not by taking up arms or having a, a different attitude. <clears throat> the time is really getting away. The next chapter, Romans 13, is really a critical discussion on this subject. I don't plan to read it or really go into it. I'm going to invite you as students to study that. This chapter, but I want you to notice this as you study Romans 13. It speaks of God ordaining civil uh, power, government, and authority uh, for the good of, the, of, of nations. And he does that. I want to acknowledge that today that the Bible says that the policemen, the judges, the court system, all of those things, they are ministers of God. He says an, an avenger to execute uh, righteousness or judgment upon, upon uh, those that do evil and so forth. But as you notice that, I want you to notice this. It is clear, if you will read this with an open mind and in context with, with all Scripture, that there is a clear instruction to obey this civil authority. But the passage is clear that as believers, you are not part of that civil authority. It, it designates the they and the ye. You look at it. They are the ministers of God. But ye need to respect them and pay taxes and do whatever. Ye, brethren, but they are, are set up to do all of this. There's a, a clear designation. And notice that we are subject to, let every soul be subject to, to the higher powers it starts out in Romans 13 but it doesn't say we are subjects of that kingdom we're subject to it but not subjects of it I think it's critical take a look at that we can talk more about that uh, our warfare I, I just 
feel like there's so much and it's going, going to be difficult to cover, but I want you to consider uh, back in Romans 12, I'm not going to turn to it, but, but a familiar scripture where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's what I want you to consider out of that. We do have a warfare. I want to hold that before you today. We have a king. Yes, we do. We have a citizenship. Yes, we do. We're citizens of our Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. I very much claim to be a citizen and a warrior and a soldier in the king, kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to be a better soldier, but I am a soldier. Now I am a soldier. My captain's gone before. He's given me my orders and tells me not to fear. I am a soldier, yes, and you are too. But notice Romans 12 says to present your body to who? To God, a living sacrifice. Now, this government would invite you to present your body to them, to the armed forces, to be a part of that. But we are to present our bodies, but as a living sacrifice to God. That doesn't mean we try to get out of responsibility. God is calling us to be good citizens, to pray for the leaders of this kingdom that we're a part of, to pay our taxes, to be good citizens as much as, as we can in clear conscience without violating the Word of God. But we present our body to, our, to God as a living sacrifice to Him. To Him. That's our warfare. Uh, I'm going to hasten through a couple other scriptures. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says this, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare... We do have a warfare, but the weapons of our warfare, we've got weapons too. We talked about it. We're going to note that again here after a while. Brother Merle mentioned it this morning. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not fleshly. They're not something you can grab with your hand, like a pistol or a rifle or the lever that would let off a round from a tank or a sword that you could thrust through someone. That's not our weapons. They're not carnal. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and in bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and so forth. Galatians 6.10 says this, as we have therefore opportunity, remember we're looking at more testimony from God's Word on this subject, just some, just some snapshots. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. I don't know how you get around that especially unto them that are of the household of faith. But he says, unto all men. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So we are soldiers. Furthermore, we're called to be courageous and to stand, putting on the whole armor of God. Philippians 2.15 says this, key passage, Study this, consider it, memorize it even. It says this, that you may be blameless and harmless. Blameless and harmless. This is suffering love. Without rebuke 
in the midst of, not a part of, but in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. In the midst of. We're to be a blameless and a harmless people right in the middle of a crooked and a perverse nation. We have that opportunity in America today. We are living right in the midst of. Jesus said, I don't pray that you'd take them clear out of the world on some remote island somewhere. No, we're in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation, but we're called to do something. We're called to shine like lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation as warriors and soldiers of our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, who fight with a different sword. One of your memory verses, 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. to Remember, we're soldiers. We are soldiers. Someone quote that. Uh, verses 3 and 4, 2 Timothy 2. Uh, it's probably hard for you to jump in at that spot. Got it, Ethan? It starts, I'll give you a clue. Thou therefore endure. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth and angleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that has chosen him to be a soldier. Good, thank you. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Remember, and I remember this one time, I had a friend that I had brought from school who was uh, enlisted in the Navy. And he was sitting beside me in service. And that, the brother that opened the service that night says, and, and, and this, this friend of mine, he had no idea. And, and the brother had no idea either who I'd brought to church with me that night. But he said, you'll see a sign of this man that says, Uncle Sam, I want you. And you've seen that. He said, but I hear another cry. And it's Jesus who says, follow me. You'll have to choose. Uncle Sam says, I want you. But Jesus says, follow me. My friend began to study the Word of God and over his next few years as he was committed in the Navy. He finally came to the conclusion that, that God's Word was right. That God's Word was right. Hebrews 1.8 I want to mention this. To the Son, He saith. He talks about to the angels. God says things to the angels. But to the Son, He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. What kingdom do you want to be a part of? I want to be a part of the kingdom that the king has a scepter that's a scepter of righteousness. It's, a, it's going to be accurate. It's going to be just. If I try to get involved in the kingdom of this world, I tell you it's a system of compromise. And you can look at candidates, and there might be certain ones who would ascribed to views that, that I would appreciate, like uh, it's wrong for a mother to kill an unborn child. I agree with that. There might be some candidates who will say, I ascribe to that view. And so, but, but if you begin to examine, you will still find that it's a system of compromise. We need to pray for them. We need to honor them where we can. But we cannot become a part or entangled with that kingdom so that we can please Him who hath chosen us to be soldiers of a different kingdom and of a different army. Revelation 13 says this, If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Is that your patience and your faith? 
If you, do you suppose that was Michael Sattler's patience and faith? And his wife, as she watched her husband mercilessly burn and seared and then thrown in the flames, what was her patience and faith? I believe she knew that he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword shall be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. She had patience and faith that went beyond the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to go on now and try and conclude with some serious life implications of this teaching. Again, only so faintly scratch the surface and we have just a few more minutes. I'm just going to put life implications. I'd like to hear what all you think the life implications of this teaching are. I want to say that the life implications of this teaching are not just that I won't join the army. That's feeble. That's, that is true. That is a result of my citizenship in heaven and my commitment as a soldier to Jesus Christ. But it's not a convenient cop-out, beloved. We want to be uh, bold soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I just want to quickly mention some things. What about your business life? What about your dealings with neighbors? What about a dispute over a property line or something else with a neighbor? What is my attitude? Am I called to suffering love? Now I want you to think about this. This is so... Uh, well, yeah. I, I really don't feel like I can become involved in constraint and enforcing men and women to do what they don't want to do with the power of a gun or with the power of a sword. That's not my calling. I... I'm a soldier that, that uses different weapons. I can't use those carnal weapons against people. You know, the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth uh, this kind of attitude that why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? Uh, when, when there were people suing, going to law against one another, in that case even, even uh, among the saints, and it was a shame. He said, your attitude as Christians, you act like you should know that. That should flow out of your nature of following Christ that instead of that you would suffer yourself, you would allow yourself to be defrauded. These are life implications of these teachings. Um, it's important to keep your, your kingdom loyalty clear. I want you to remember that, that the church and the world are distinct. The church is distinct and it's been commissioned. It has a specific call. You think about Israel. In the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to choose a little nation, and I'm going to work with that nation, and they're going to be my testimony that goes out from there to other nations. Now, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ has His church, and He said, I'm going to choose, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, and they're going to be a testimony to all. They're going to be my voice to reach out to call uh, in, into the kingdom. Uh, we could say more about that. But I think I'll, I'll conclude with that and just say this. I want you to consider the irony, the absolute irony. If, if nothing else makes sense in this teaching to you, consider this, because it's happened. Thursday, Lord willing, we're going to go 
to Seattle and share the gospel as we have opportunity. We hope that some might respond. Maybe some will be saved. Some of you have went across national boundaries and borders to other places and shared the gospel and, and called others to learn to love and follow Jesus, to be your brothers and your sisters in the kingdom of Christ. Now, I don't understand a line of reasoning that is so prevalent, a line of reasoning that says, go and share the good news of Jesus. Go across boundaries. We could drive five hours and, and get to Vancouver, British Columbia. That would be another nation. We could convert people there. But I tell you, there's a line of reasoning that is very prevalent out there that says if I convert, but then if my government calls me, and if their government calls them, they need to respond. And can you imagine the absolute irony of that? Or, or that a brother from one nation could go and, and preach the gospel, but then be commissioned by his government and become a spy, let's say, and go sneak behind enemy lines and find out where, that, where those folks are. And, and maybe some of the ones you're finding out are, are ones that you had preached the gospel to and, and converted and go back and tell so you can aim your bomb right. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not right. It's not the Word of God. It's just not right, but it's happened. World War One, World War Two, the Civil War in this country, there were people in the same denomination shooting at each other across the line. Can you imagine? I just, I tried to, to draw a man. I thought, okay, let's pretend I had went to Mexico and, and had shared the gospel and, and a man was converted. Praise God. He accepted and he responded to the gospel and, and he loved the Bible and he loved the Lord Jesus and, and uh, and, and his family was converted and, and he had children and, and then all of a sudden 2015 hits and, and Mexico's fortified an army and guess what, we're going to have another Alamo they're going to they're come against the United States and, and so the United States has a draft and Mexico has a draft and, and according to the teaching that I hear out there very prevalently or that you'll follow you'll find uh, I should respond to my government and uh, he should respond to his, and guess what? We find ourselves in front lines. And so you just picture now, you're, if you follow that line of reasoning, and now you're a soldier for the United States of America, men and women, by the way, these days, and, and now you've got this man in your scope. You've got him in your crosshairs. And he's just about to go home for the day, He's dreaming about his wife and his children, and, but, but you're, you've got him in your crosshairs. You're going to snuff out his life just like that. But he's your brother. I tell you, it won't hold up to the Word of God. It, it's not right. It's not the way Jesus taught. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it's whatever country it's in, my brother is my brother. And even if it's not my brother, he could be. Would I snuff out his life and send him into eternity unsaved? It's not right. So I want to tell you, do what you did again this morning. Grab your sword and hold it high in the air. You take your pick. 
Jesus said, put up your sword. And this morning, Merle said, put up your sword. You'll put up one or the other. You will have to put up one if you're going to put up the other. You'll have to, you'll have to choose. You can't put them both up accurately. If you're going to put up this one, you're going to have to lay down the other one. And I tell you, if you're going to take up the other one, then you're going to have to lay down this one. You decide. You decide. Amen. Good. Sit down. I I really appreciated how Joe ended up with these life implications. Because it always has seemed to me that the logical conclusion of non-resistance as we've been taught is evangelism. And Joe didn't state that exactly, but more or less, if we are going to not join the armies of this world and our citizenship is in heaven, then we have been enlisted, like Ethan quoted, we've been enlisted in something different. And what are we doing in that army? It's not just so that we don't have to take risks, so that we don't have to suffer, so that we don't have to get involved in anything scary or dangerous. It's that our kingdom is different. And we have enlisted in an army that uses different weapons. So I want to tie a couple of things together. The the prayer and, and this thought that as followers of King Jesus, we will take the gospel in a proactive way. It's a logical extension of suffering love. It's, it's the only thing that makes sense is evangelism if we believe in non-resistance. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, from verse 1 to verse 6, 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We heard this morning about praying. And this scripture says that we're to be praying for our leaders so that we can have a quiet and peaceable life to go about our business as ambassadors for King Jesus. It's not so that we can sit back and be the quiet in the land and get wealthy because of our principles of of being good and doing good. And and if you're good and honest, then, then you'll make a good living. That's not what it's about. That's not why we're praying for good leaders. It's so that we can have the quiet and peaceable life to go out as ambassadors for King Jesus. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now is the time. 